Hello and welcome back to Tales from the Teacher's Lounge. I am your host, Lauren Morris, and this week we bring you Brian James O'Connell, BOC to those of us who know Brian. A quick note about the audio. We were trying a different program, so the audio sounds a bit different. I sound like I'm really far away. It's kind of weird, but I'm not the person who you really need to be listening to anyways. It's BOC. Brian is a working actor, writer, director, and filmmaker in L.A. He currently teaches as a core faculty of the Pack Theater in I.O. West. He also works on a variety of other projects, including films and web series and more theater projects. Uh, You will find more about all of that in the bio that is connected to this episode. He is a regular performer, coach, and teacher in LA, and he does his signature one-to-one improv coaching. Brian will tell you that improv has saved his life. He is not kidding. He loves teaching because he himself, episode, you'll see what I'm saying. So thanks again for listening, and here it is, Brian James O'Connell. As as a teacher, I have to be a good person, even if I don't want to be a good person in my real life, because it's that's you know that that is that is the burden of teaching to bear. Personally, for me, I just keep reminding and reminding people over and over and over again that the other person is more important than you are, right? The, yes. the, the whole point of this art form is to support the other person. And I'm very clear about people, you know, like. I'm like, I don't care about the audience. I'm not out there to like entertain them. I'm there to do the stuff that I need to do. But you have the, the joke I always make is that uh, my biggest problem is I want to be the greatest improviser on the planet. And that's impossible because no one can be the number one. You can't be like first in being selfless. You know what I mean? <laughs> you, know what I mean? <laughs> no. you can't be the best at being giving. Right. So just anytime, um, anytime one brings it up, we're like, well, when I get better gives and all that, you just have to remind them, like, as soon as you point that finger, you're pointing three more back at yourself. It is not our job to steamroll or cut off people at the knees is to take uh, and steam. It's not to take someone's shitty idea and then force our shittier idea down their throat. That's a it's, it's a sneak. That's a snake eating its own tail. You know, our job is to take our job is to take that. You know, that idea, no matter how convoluted or how half formed or wrongheaded and build it together into something that that works and is successful and is fun and is useful uh, because the process is the product and no one is going out there intentionally to screw you over. They're learning just like you are. And if it just keeps becoming that thing, eventually you have to take that student aside and say, look, I can't find any other way to say this. And I'm not, and I'm doing it personally, just you and me one-on-one, because I'm not trying to embarrass you or humiliate you or emasculate you in front of the rest of the class. This is just me coming to you as a friend. This art form is all about you realizing and recognizing and accepting that everyone around you is more important than you are. And if your needs, if you meet, you having your needs met, you having your ideas taken care of, you have people, uh, being considerate of your feelings, f- f- number one, two, three, four, five, and on your list, and maybe number six is when you start to care about other people, then then you will never get better. I'm not saying you have to stop doing it. I'm not saying you're bad at it right now. I'm saying you will never get better. And that usually does the trick for me. Because okay. once, if it's someone who's already linking about their, they're already thinking about their own self-worth, if they're already thinking about how they want to succeed and be successful, and if you tell them 
that they won't get any better that way and so then they have a vested interest, they will at least start pretending to give a shit about other people's ideas and try. And then they'll like do it on stage in a class or a workshop and then like look at you like, hey, I'm doing it, right? Good. And eventually after pretending long enough, they'll just do it out of habit. And so they'll just sort of they'll sort of fall ass backwards into being a decent person. And usually what I usually what I end with the the quote I wish I could give credit to where credit's due. I can't remember if Miles said this or Rosowski. Uh, but the, the the quote that always sticks with me is that um, it's hard to be a good improviser and a bad friend. It really is. Yes. It's really hard to be a great improviser and a shitty friend at the exact same time. It's real tough. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I I find that. Just being a human, right? Yeah, that's that's yeah. Something, that's something Miles said years ago, and it's always stuck with me. Uh, and he's he has it. Uh, if you've ever seen the Del Monic interviews, that's a uh, documentary about Dell after Dell died. It's never it's never gonna be released because no one who signed on to it, like everyone's in it. Besser, Amy Poehler, Susan Messing, uh, Neil Flynn. You basically have to like borrow it from someone that has it. Um, I can, I can help you track that down if need be. Yes. Uh, but there's an interview very early on where Miles is interviewed in it as well. And he says this, the secret to being a better and more interesting improviser is being a better and more interesting human being, being a better, yes. more interesting person. And that means being well read and studying art and literature and history and culture. But it also means a forgiveness and, um, and, and empathy and, uh, humility and trust you can't be a good improviser and a shitty friend. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever had to ask someone to leave your class? Oh, uh, I have. Once once where I was wrong and once where I was right. You want to share? What's that? Yeah. Um, you want to share that? Yeah, it would be awesome. Yeah, there was once where I, I – um, just because it was for the good of the class, there was a girl uh, who had had a previous um, – I had a previous incident – with a with a guy that I a student who this was my second time teaching him, and I had known her for uh, for a while, but I never had her as a student, and um, <clears throat> I and there was just a, a small thing I didn't see it uh, I didn't I don't know she was like but she kind of had a small thing she was like don't don't touch me like you've tried to touch me before and he's such a like unassuming dude and he's he was older he was like 40 he got into it late you know he was an empty nester and he got divorced and moved to california to start and either either i just didn't see her you know whatever it was but then i asked her to leave the class because i had to like if there's gonna be issues there i i was like you know we could either finish the class or we're gonna have to ask you to leave the class because i had other people i had to i had other people in the class i like i can't just stop the class i can't keep remember that i was like and then, and then like some people made jokes about it. I was like, guys, let's not do that. And then I, you know, then I made a joke and I, and I know for a fact that a couple of people didn't come back. Like they transferred out of that class because of the way I handled it. And I don't think, and she and I are cool. And I told her, I apologize to her. I'm glad that we had worked it out. Um, but it's always still bugged me because I went, I, that wasn't my choice to make. And I, if nothing else, even if she was flat out wrong, even if she had imagined, even if this is the nicest guy, and I don't think she was, I'm not in the habit of saying women imagine things when they say they're being attacked or, uh, or they've been assaulted or they've been made to feel uncomfortable by a, by a man. Um, what I should have done is stop that class completely. Um, right then and there, that was not my call to make. Uh, and pass it up the line, not passing the buck, but definitely pass up the line to the ADs. I'm saying this 
these this has happened. You need to be aware of this. I stopped the class that night. So if they want to make up class, I'm more than willing to do it on my own dime. You know, you guys don't have to pay me for that. We can reschedule at a different time at another weekend. But I should have allowed her to have her voice heard instead of asking her to leave the class uh, halfway through a class and then have her to have to change her life and go over. That was that was on me. That was fucked up. And um, and she, how long have you been teaching at that point? Oh, this was like a year or two ago. Oh, so you've been teaching a while already at this. Yeah, I've been teaching for about okay. six or seven years now. <clears throat> um, but that's the thing. Teachers have to improv. Students uh, get better and learn. Improv right. teachers get better and learn. Uh, but it's 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 it. She has um, been way more gracious and kind and cool to me than she probably needs to. It still eats at me. I still I. It's also this part of the Irish Catholic guilt where I'm just like. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to be able to get that one back. There was another one where I kicked a guy out of class because he was just he was just being wildly inappropriate, uh, and it was clear that he had some sort of like. And I've had other people like I like I just was in Phoenix and I taught a workshop, and there was a kid that did not want to do the character driven scenes. You could tell he was uh, corpsing it on stage, and I just stopped. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, hey, can you help me like? It's clear that you're not into like women. He was just like he was like 19. He was like, I just don't see what the point of these mirror scenes are. I just don't see what the point of them are. And I was like, Well, I'm, I'm not, I didn't make them up, you know. But I gave you several examples like Statler and Waldorf and Key and Peele, the two valets. So I'm like, they they exist. You don't have to like them, but you have to know how to do them and execute them because she started the scene and she wanted to do it. So every time someone does a scene like that, you're just not going to give them what they want. He's like, I just don't see what the point is of him. I was like, that's fine. That's cool. You know, we don't have to do anything. And he sat down and he did not get up again for, <laughs> and I mean, that was early on. Wow. Yeah. It was a two and a half or three hour workshop and he didn't get up. That happened like the first half hour. I didn't tell that guy to leave. And afterwards he like gave me lip. He came up and he was like, Hey, it just, um, uh, I didn't mean to come off as uh, abrasive early. I was like, no, it's cool, right? It's good. I'm like, I got thick skin. I, this stuff is every form. I was like, never apologize for that. He's like, well, I wasn't apologizing. I went, <laughs> I went, you said that you didn't mean to come off as abrasive, and I'm telling you that you didn't. Um, you and I are cool. There's, this improv is a big enough tent that everyone can fit underneath it. Um, and if you and I had a show tonight, I think we'd get along very well. And we'd have a great successful scene work together. He's like, yeah, just my personal philosophy. And I was like, oh, fuck me. Seriously. Don't know. Yeah. But at the same time, I was like, you know what? You'll learn because I was 19 and I was a real cocksucker. You would have hated me. You would have hated me. I was a real bastard. Improv, improv saved my life. But there was, there was one time, uh, this was an IO class where I told the guy, I was like, you gotta get, you gotta get out right now. I was like, you got to get out right now. People are in here. And this was like, this was a level four class. So we're doing deconstruction and we're doing the opening scene. So people are being real vulnerable and using stuff from their real life. And he was just being like savage about it. He was being like vicious uh, about pointing out things. Cause I was asking him, like, you know, what is this behavior on that? He wasn't attacking the, he wasn't attacking the ideas. He was attacking the people. Like he was judging them for them sharing and opening up and saying, using from their real lives. He was judging them. Now and I was like, "There's no way you can continue on this class because none of these people trust you, and why would they? Right. You've, you've told them that you don't that you you view them as lesser than you, that they are subhuman. Now you gotta get the fuck out of my class, dude." Uh, he was like, "Are you serious?" And I was like, "Yeah, right now, go. I'm not moving from this spot. The class is not going to start anymore. These guys are all going to get their money back before you fucking will have one more minute in my in my class. Get out of here." Yeah, and then we never and we never saw him. He, 
to his credit, he did not call the office and ask for his money back. He didn't call up the office and tell him what a shithead I was and like, you know, what he was going to do to me. He didn't challenge me to a fight. He didn't wait for me outside afterwards. He just disappeared. Because I'm, I'm sure, you know, to his friends, like, yeah, there's a bunch of faggots and pussies at that place. Like, I'm sure it was all, I'm sure it was all that. But it's like, hey, great. This, I say that everyone can, anyone can do this art form. Anyone, absolutely, anyone can do this art form. Because the only requirement, and it's why I say improv saved my life. The only thing that's required is for you to be you. That you are good enough. It's the only thing that improv says is that you are good enough. You matter. You're important. Your life has value. You're valid. All the other stuff we can teach you. The one thing we can't teach you is you. But that doesn't mean everyone should do it. There's a lot of people out there that don't that do not care about anything past the tip of their own dick. Right. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. Do you think well, I mean, I don't I don't think. I know for a fact yes. that you're a white male telling him to leave that class. Yeah. We're gonna wait to it. Mm-hmm. I know. Just the same way. That's why it haunt. That's why it haunts me so bad about that girl because a white male, straight white male teacher teaching that class, I could have stood up and made a difference. I could have been right. the person that listened, and I will. I will never get that back, and it's going to haunt me. Right. I know that I've been conditioned at times to feel guilty to tell people directly, mm-hmm. not in my class. Yes. So for those people who are listening. We did start recording a little bit. No, I saw it 14, 14 minutes okay. and 45 seconds ago. Yeah. Who are going to get into teaching and whatnot. How do they find their voice to say to that student, you've got to get out of my class? <clears throat> I think, um, first of all, depending upon, you have to remind them that you are an employee, that you are representing the theater that employs you. These are not rules that you made up. These are rules that you've been entrusted to enforce. <clears throat> that is the policy of the company is not you being personal. You are telling them what they are doing is inappropriate and unacceptable as been laid out by the person who owns the business. Freedom of speech is just that. It's freedom of speech for the government not to come and tell you to, to silence you, to jail you. That's what the first thing everyone goes is like, this is my freedom of speech. I'm like, freedom of speech does not mean freedom of consequence. If you go, if you yell fire in a theater you and there's no fire, you will be arrested. If you're in this class where we tell, where we tell everyone, this is a class, this is a workshop. Everyone who has paid for this has paid for this knowing that they were going to be respected. They were going to be treated fairly and kindly and that we were going to all be open and vulnerable to each other's ideas and how, and find a way to work together because it's a group mind process. That's how this, edu- this, how this education system works, right? You wouldn't go to a college class the first day and have the teacher tell you that you need to buy these books and then show up the next day not having bought the books, you'd get kicked out of that class too. Right. So that's the thing is, again, it's all, <clears throat> yeah, anything that they can throw at you, uh, well, you're just a bitch. You know, if they, if, they won't, if they don't respect women or if they don't respect black people or if they don't respect anything, you have to remind them too that it's not it, – they don't have to respect you personally at all. But your job title as teacher, the money that you get, it's like you either leave this class or I get fired and I'm not getting fired today. So you got to leave this class. If you put – if you put – a, um, if you put an institution behind you. <clears throat> also, the other thing I would say 
is that you have to remind people, look, I am standing on the shoulders of giants. So you may not respect me, but the people that came before me, that held the door open for me, the people that invented this art form, the committee, Del Close, Martin DeMatt, all these other people and folks, they would have kicked you out too. I'm not making this shit up. I'm not pulling it out of my ass. You may not respect me because I'm a, because I'm a Latino woman kicking you out of my class, but that's fine. You probably shouldn't have been in this class in the first place because you don't respect me because I'm a Latina woman. But I'm telling you right now is that any teacher would have removed you from the class. It has nothing to do with who I am or how I was born. It's about your behavior being inappropriate in an art form that requires the exact opposite of the behavior you're doing. That's it. You just, you can't, you just, you have to be calm. You have to be cool. And I know it sucks to be a straight white male telling, telling other people to like (laughs) keep their chin up. But when it comes to improv teaching, you you have to because you again you are still you are still representing the theater, you're still representing right. someone. So that's uh, there was a whisper about that <clears throat> a couple of months ago, where somebody said like uh, it was like, hey, could you not talk about this theater while you're teaching at our theater? And I said, you tell me who said that because I've been teaching at both theaters for five years and I would never do that. That's uh, that's unprofessional. I would I take that as a personal insult on my character. Um, I certainly would, what I, no, they're saying like, like I was recommending one theater over the other while I was at the theater teaching. Uh, and I said, that's absolutely not, I would never do that. I wasn't raised that way. I, I pride myself on my, uh, my reputation. I think my rep, I think my reputation precedes me. Um, I've worked very hard at getting that reputation because I was such a terrible person, uh, in my late teens to early twenties, I'm trying to be a better person now. And I said, uh, it would, since I've been teaching at both theaters for five years, it really makes no sense for me to start now. When I'm, when, right. when I'm in your building, I'm your employee. It would be unethical for me to talk about the other theater and say, you should take classes there. I guarantee you those words have never left my lips. Right. right. That's never happened. And then they're like, okay, I was probably just misunderstanding. I'm like, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. And I I never heard about it again. Right. But because that's I'm like when I teach at I.O., I'm working for I.O. I can't I I can't go in and 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 talk shit about other theaters or be inappropriate or ask a student out. God forbid. Never done that. Never do that. Never, ever, ever do that. Right. I have to say anyone who's listening to this, do not do that. Don't ever, ever, ever do that. No, you're not the exception. Don't do it. I know what you're thinking right now. What if I've already – those are grandfathered in. You can't change it. I'm saying from this moment now, never do that. <clears throat> and when I'm working for the pack, I'm working for Miles, you know, and I have to represent him. And also I believe as teachers, individual improvisers or house team members, I wouldn't hold to this standard. But as as a teacher, I'm, when I was teaching – and then this weekend I was at the Greenville, the New South Improv Festival. When I'm teaching there, I'm representing Iowa West – and the Pack Theater, I have to be on the top of my game, even in Greenville, South Carolina, because I may be the first experience anyone has with either one of those theaters. And it's not fair to those theaters to lose interest or lose potential future business if that person decides to move to California and study improv um, because I was a dick or I was rude or I was mean. It's not fair to those companies because I'm still representing them. I'm still representing them when I go to other theaters just to perform, even when I'm not teaching. If you are a teacher at a place, you have to you you have to conduct yourself with a certain modicum of of, of respect, so that because you know 
some people taking your improv workshop that may be the that may be the first exposure to improv they've ever had for better or for worse you are you are the face of the first moment they found this art form and i, I take that duty really I, I take that that's a duty i i, I take that responsibility very very seriously because this art form has given so much to me i would i would absolutely hate to be the to be the face of someone's first experience with improv and have it be a negative experience right that didn't fully hit me until someone came up to me at adlib and was like i'm so glad i signed up for this Mm -hmm. i was debating literally between like pottery class and this Absolutely. A lot of people are like, well, is this or taking a cooking class at the learning annex, but I couldn't do Tuesday, so here I am. Right? Those end up being the best improvisers, the best students, because they they're so happy they found it. Yes. And and when they say to me, so that first person who said to me, This is making such an impact, I was like, oh thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Running a theater and being a teacher, there are days you're like, God, am I doing anything? Is this a slow? Right. And that one person's like, Hey, man, I've just, I really respect you and I really look up to you. And I'm just, I'm, I'm really happy I'm going into your class next term because I, I want to do it. You're just like, Oh, oh, right. Oh, I, not that like, not to like, you know, be like, Oh, praise me and feel good. And just every once in a while, you need those reminders of like, Oh, I gotta, I have to stay ever vigilant because there are people out there that are counting on me. There are people on there. Yeah. There's nothing worse. There are so many experiences for people in life to meet their heroes or meet their idols or find mentors and have those people be ultimate, ultimately disappointing that I'm like improv. You shouldn't, you should meet your idols and them not be dicks to you. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. No, like yeah. there's only, there's only, there's only one guy I know who's like sort of an improv guru and I will not say who it is. There's only one guy I know who's been, who's an improv guru a real dick and everyone just kind of lets it go. Right? You'll do you'll, Yeah, you'll, that you'll, drives me crazy. You'll do the math. You'll figure it out. <laughs> no, I got it, but it drives me crazy. Yeah. Uh just I met someone recently. Mm-hmm. And I was really excited. I was like, oh cool, because I hadn't crossed paths with that someone. And then I was talking to another friend that we both have. Right. And that friend was like, oh, that person. And I was like, oh no. What? Oh, no, oh, no, no, what is it, what is it, what is it? <laughs> and then that person told me, and I was like, oh, son of a bitch. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. That just tainted everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I try, yeah, I try not to let that, that, that sometimes does, uh, affect me like when you have an, an like yeah, if you have an actor that you like really respect and then you someone tells you a, a true fact about them you're like oh no, what really oh man yeah. Yeah. i don't know if i'm gonna be able to enjoy those movies anymore uh I, I usually i'm usually pretty good about putting those out of my mind the unfortunately unfortunately i live i live in the industry i live in the industry town it is still possible right. to be kind that, that that conan o'brien thing of like if work hard and be kind and good things will happen to you so you started teaching about six years ago, you said? <clears throat> about six or seven years ago. I was teaching at I.O. before I started teaching the pack, and I've definitely been teaching at the pack for at least five years. So I think I think six or seven years total. Um, was to... I.O. your very first teaching experience then? Yes. Okay. 
Yes. I mean, I had, I mean, I had taught workshops all around the country and all that, and I had definitely been coaching for a long time, but it's official, like it is an official teacher at a theater, like being on, being on the website under the list of teachers. When you click on teachers, my name, I, I O was the first. Yes. And which class did they put you in to start off with? Um, I was a little different because it, um, you sort of bounce around. You would think newer teachers would immediately be like level one. Um, but not I, necessarily. Not necessarily. I, I think that people think that way, but I am of the school that a first-time teacher should not teach level one. Yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely uh, follow you on that. I'm, I'm, I, I understand and appreciate that philosophy uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and also too, like um, you can make the argument for new teachers should teach the uh, the more advanced levels because they're they're people that are a little bit closer to them. And they can can relate to them more. It's it's hard to have the sort of patience, you know, like to have the sort of patience that might be required uh, to teach a level one people who are brand new. People that because because to you it's you know it's frustrating. I always kind of lengthen it to like because uh, I'm a huge NBA fan. Uh, superstars like all timers, people that are going to the Hall of Fame, players usually don't make the best coaches. Because they're just like, just go out there, do the, do what I would do, and it's like, yeah, but you're one of the greatest of all time, and I'm not, right? That's why it's the same thing in baseball. You have catchers become managers. Um, Io is a little different in that um, <clears throat> they play their strengths, um, but also it's it's massive. It's a schedule. It's okay. sometimes it just comes down to who is available in that time, uh, and then they have. Um, and we also we have teacher evaluations. The student fill the students fill out teacher evaluations the last week, and they're anonymous. And the uh, and I O reads them. They read them. So uh, I started off in level four. The, back then, that there were six levels because there was forms um, and the deconstruction they teach in level four there. So they're like, oh, okay. But it also happened to be that I think uh, they were just needed. They needed teachers in level four at that time because. Uh, Craig Kukowski, it used to be Craig Kukowski used to be all level four. If you if you if you took level four, you took you took Kukowski, and he was sort of like the door to get into like the later uh, performance classes, you know, because level four was advanced was uh, advanced scene work, <clears throat> uh, and you start learning some forms and you learn those techniques. Um, so, but but Craig had uh, gotten a job and he was very busy, and he was working. He was a working actor at that point too. So I uh, got that. Uh, but then for the most part, they've had me in level one and level two, um, intro, introductionary, and then level two, which is scene work. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me, because I'm kind of known for that. Um, and I think just my reviews have been so good that they were like, well, let's keep Brian in there. And also I'm very raw, raw and passionate without being like sort of cloying or too sweet or like, yay, let you feel better. And so I think I get a lot of that. Um I think I get a lot of good positive feedback in my reviews from in those evaluations. The teachers are allowed to read them too. Um, so and I have learned – I think I think I allow that. So I think they keep me there because they're like, oh, BOC is going to be able to ask them to like – he's going to demand a little bit more from them but not be a dick about it and scare them off so they don't sign up for level two or level three. Uh, for Miles, Miles came to me and said um, – Miles handpicked me. He was like, I'm starting to expand my workshop. 
I want you to come in and start teaching forms. You know a crazy amount of forms. I'm a, a you're like you're a student of you're you're a student of of improv history. You know all this stuff. I can't do that stuff. You do. Come do that. And then as we expanded to our full curriculum of six levels, and, and I hesitate to even call it a curriculum because Miles doesn't tell us what to teach. Um, I everything I teach in level two and level four at the pack is my own. Uh, but level two, we teach. I was just about to ask you that. <clears throat> yeah, level two, we Would teach. You the curriculum. Um, well, here's how it works, Emily. Uh, we brought in our sort of philosophy is that the work evolves. Uh, that is, you can't write down a curriculum because it even as soon as you write down the curriculum, it's already past due because the process is the product. Miles and uh, and Emily and I, especially on the improv side, you know, uh, Money Penny and Sam Brown and Heather Campbell are on the uh, on the sketch side, and then myself and Matt Lieberman and Bill Posley do the digital stuff. But for improv specifically. Um, Miles has his philosophy of that. That's how you learn back in the day in Chicago. First, you learned freedom, then you learned responsibility, and then you played. <clears throat> so Emily teaches level one, where our level one is not a intro level. Where I, I always liken us to sort of like a master's program, as not to be like not to put us above anyone. We're not saying we're better than anyone else. I'm just saying that's how we complement. Most people that come to us have some sort of background in improv. They graduated from I O or Second City or UCB. Um, so you come and you learn Emily and Emily teaches a lot of annoyance style, a lot of, um, very much. And if you listen to the podcast on our website, the first one is all three of us talking about our philosophies. Uh, she's a very annoying style. Noah Krakopoulos. She's a lot of IO as well. Uh, she reminds me of Su- second. She reminds me of Susan Messing personality wise, but she was very clear that she, she and Susan did not teach the same. And so then you get, <laughs> and then you get me and it's position play. Position play is, uh, the thing that miles invented, uh, the scene, scene dynamics, uh, the, the scene types he did not invent. He invented the language and the technology and the technique. Uh, and Miles believes he was like, I'm the only one that he was like, you can teach what I, what I can. He was like, you, he was like, you are the most technical improviser. I know you've learned my, st- you know, my shit backwards and forwards. I trust you to teach the thing that I invented. Cause he's very position play. He is very, uh, particular about he's very precious about yeah that's his thing that's, <clears throat> he invented it he, he you, came up with it yes so that's clearly your philosophy that you're going to teach from you're going to play from was that something that you learned from miles and you were like that is what i am yes i am known as miles i am known as miles jr in the uh in the improv community i make no bones about it uh, I am a complete horror for the man and position play the first within the first five to 10 minutes of me having, cause back in the day I got miles in level five at IO. There were seven, six, okay. there were six levels back then. You got, you got miles in five and within the first five, 10 minutes of meeting him, I said, whatever this man's selling, I'm buying. This is it. I'm all in. Yeah. I don't have that too. Yeah. <laughs> and then once we started doing, and then once I started working with him, uh, the deconstruction team I was on called the Happy Time Rainbow Bunny Squad, and he started teaching us all this. And then when I asked him to teach, uh, teach me one on one the way he did with Dan Backadall, and I started learning all that stuff and started really getting into position play. It's beautiful. Everyone's like, "Oh, isn't it like really math?" I'm like, "It's not math. It's not improv math. It's improv truth. It frees you from having. It relieves you of the burden of trying to invent." improv whole cloth every time you walk out there it's not true these scene types have been around character driven scenes are as old as greek tragedy the greek chorus is one of the first is one of the first character driven scenes because it's nine guys all dressed the same all saying the exact same thing the exact same time wearing the exact same mask 
it doesn't work. Otherwise, you, you nine guys are going, no, Oedipus, don't sleep with your mother. What about the prophecy? You're never going to see. It doesn't work if eight guys are saying that and one guy's going, I don't know, try it. You know what I mean? Oh, that guy. Yeah, remember, right? <laughs> So it's just, uh, to me, it's it's so freeing. It's to me, it's like I treat it like a martial art. To me, it makes as just as much sense as the Tao of Jeet Kune Do, or the or the uh, the Bushido Code, the Way of the Samurai. These are the tenets. These are the principles. And this position play allows me the freedom to instead of to instead of go in my brain and think that there's 10 million choices and be overwhelmed. I have 10 million options. How do I want to play at this time? Oh, there's another interview scene? I've been looking at your resume. Oh, awesome. I get another crack at this type of scene because it's an archetype, right? I, I, it, it, it ups the degree of success rate. It increases my efficiency, which is my big thing. I love speed and clarity. I love efficiency. That's my number one favorite thing in improv. And it, up, and it, ups the, it, it makes successful scene work replicable i can replicate i can duplicate i can do this again much more likely and i don't believe in cheating or improv either so so with position play and clarity and speed and being able to replicate you mm-hmm. use that as metrics in classroom? I do. I remind everyone in the classroom that uh, it's this is this is comedy gym. We're here to work on our technique. We're here to work on our form. We're here to do the same thing over and over and over again. But when we get out on stage, when we get into the game, like like an athlete would, like a basketball player goes to the gym by himself and puts up a thousand jump shots every day to get that muscle memory to get better at improv. But when he gets into the game, he just goes with the flow of the game. I am not thinking. I'm not. It's not like I'm not counting out the dance steps in my head when I'm on stage. I'm not like one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. I'm not doing that. Right? I'm, I'm. I always say when you're under the fog of war, you've yeah. got to fight the war that's there. Yeah. So I'm do. I'm like you're doing all this stuff in preparation for it. Uh, my muscle memory is just so good that I can snap into this thing, and then I can I can snap into any scene you throw at me at any time. And what I really like about position play is they're like, people are like, what if other people like don't haven't been? I'm like, I assume most people haven't been uh, um, exposed to exposed to position play because I'm one of two guys that teaches it. Right. <laughs> but it position play allows me <clears throat> to walk on stage anywhere in the world and play with any of those people, no matter what their philosophy is. There are a lot of people that have wonderful uh, philosophies of improv. Um, and it works for them and that's great, but I can do what they do and they can't do what I do. And I think the ultimate goal is to be able to play with anybody. Right. Position play allows that better than anything I've ever seen. I've been all around the country. I've seen it all. I've been exposed to everything. So with this, all of this, when you're developing your curriculum, do you, do you look at the end game and move backwards? Uh, how do you approach it? No, um, I go – well, first of all, uh, I, I can't speak for Emily or Miles. I can only speak for myself. Uh, I don't even – that's why I hesitate to call it a curriculum. I have nothing written down. I have my philosophies. I have my beliefs. I know what I'm going to do. I know how to teach these, uh, especially position play. When I teach forms, I'm a little bit more up to my own devices. But when it comes to position play, you, there's only two to three tools or techniques per scene type and there's only four scene types so that most at best you have to know about maybe like seven or eight things total 
Those are like, I, I usually reference it to like a toolbox. Like every single one of you, even if you don't know how to do anything, all of you in your closet right now in your home have a hammer, a screwdriver, preferably a screwdriver with a Phillips head and a flat head. You have a wrench, you have pliers, the basic shit that you know you just need to have. This is the same thing with improv, with position play. I don't write any of that thing down and I don't have an ultimate goal because to me, I'm like, I'm giving you these tools, how you, I'm telling you, these are, you have to, I'm telling you that you have to have a foundation, four walls and a roof. That is the least amount that you need to, to have a house, how you guys want to decorate it, how many rooms you want to put in it, how, what kind of, what kind of shingles, all the rest of that is up to you. You do that whatever you want with that. I'm just saying that here's how you swing a hander, hammer. Here's how you here's how you uh, you twist a screwdriver. All right? I, I'm teaching you that you guys think. Or I'm not. I should I, let me let me make sure I'm saying this the correct way. Um, my job, especially when I'm teaching position play, is to let people know. Hey, I couldn't help but notice that you're using this screwdriver to hammer in this nail. Allow if if I may. Allow me to give you a hammer. Try that for a minute and see if that's more successful and you feel more confident and you feel like you can put like more behind it and therefore your house will get built quicker. Oh, do you like that? That hammer is good for you? Great, great. Let me show you this screwdriver. It's a good tool. It was just the right tool for the for, – it was just the wrong tool for this job. This tool is really helpful over here. I'm not taking anything away from them. I'm just giving them – I'm just pointing them in the direction of the nail and the screw. That's what I believe. So when you enter a classroom, yes, uh, let's say, so I want to pick it around two ways. Sure. The first class walking in, if it's position play, you know, you have to hit the four types of scenes. Yep. And what goes into those scenes for the, for the class duration. Yeah. I spend the first, uh, I've got it. I've got it down to about 20, 25 minutes, which I'm really proud of because I don't want to talk for an entire class, right? I want them to get up and start doing things, but there's just no other way around it. In the first class, I explain all the different scene types, uh, how the you know the tools and techniques you have to do, what the big red trap door um, is for each one of those. The thing I was like, and then I explain to them like this will put you in your head, um, and I remind them that the. Uh, <clears throat> The, there's no consequences on the stage, only revelations. I got that from Eric Honeycutt. And you don't have the right to use this art form to make yourself feel bad about yourself. You all know how to do this. You all have this bicep. You're all born with a bicep. We're just going to make the bicep stronger and more well-defined. This is comedy gym. We got to lift some comedy weights, right? Don't beat yourself up that you're not getting it right away. Ask the question. I've done all these things. And unfortunately, we're starting with straight absurd. And straight absurd, there's just no other way than doing it over and over again. There's no substi- there's no substitute for reps when it comes to straight absurd, unfortunately. And so that's the first 20, 25 minutes of class. I give them the overview. And then we do the first week is straight absurd, and the second week is straight absurd, but I start giving them um, I start giving them practical applications. I'm like, here's a scene you've been in a hundred times and you didn't know it was a straight absurd, but it is now. Uh, but now you do know that and it all works together. And then I do two weeks of character driven, two weeks of alternate reality, one week of realistic, and then one week of not really a refresher course, more of like, what are you still struggling with? What do you need more of? What do you, I need to work on my straight man and straight absurd. Great. Get up state. Get on the left side of stage. Everyone else on the right side of stage, we're going to we're gonna run this scene gauntlet. You're going to be the straight man. They're going to give you nine, nine straight absurd scenes in a row. And you're just going to work on it. We're just going to drill, drill, drill. So when you first were doing this, though, because you absolutely know what 
absolutely knows where. I'm sorry, what was that? You when you you absolutely you just gave your curriculum, right? Like week one is this, week two is yeah. this, week three is this. Did you just take that from learning from Miles? Or did you sit down and think about it? Um, Miles suggested he was like or probably because he had been teaching when it was just the Miles Strauss workshop and he was just by himself. Um that's how he was teaching it. He was like, Yeah, I want you to start uh you're gonna start teaching my stuff. I'm gonna start teaching some different stuff. When we went to the you know the expanded schedule, the the the, the six levels. He's like, You're gonna start teaching position play. Um it's you know, two weeks you know, it's like two weeks of strips or two weeks of character driven, two weeks of alternate reality. You know, probably Probably just one week of realistic scenes because they don't get asked to do them a lot, uh, but it's good to know them. Uh, and then one week of review because because that's that's his big thing <clears throat> for level five. Uh, Miles just fixes you. <laughs> he just gets you on stage. You do a couple scenes. He goes, all right, I, I see what your thing is. It's like when Mick and Larry Theodore Exactly. Exactly. And Miles has a lot of respect for Mick. Uh, Mick's, Mick's book is the only improv book he's read all the way through. <laughs> The rest he just the rest he flips through and he goes no nope, that's wrong no nope, that's good okay never mind um, but Miles will Miles will put you on stage for everyone gets on stage a ton but you will be on stage for one whole hour that is every single person in his class gets on is on stage for one whole hour and the rest of the class and Miles is dedicated to you just doing scene after scene after scene to fix the thing that's broken with you. And so that's, so I do a little concept, a little bit of that. I haven't changed it or done anything that because it works. And I think, I think, I think there's something beautiful about the idea that, you know, position play just works and teaching this way just works. It probably goes in hand to hand. You need a week of doing it and they need a week off to sort of let it process and come back. And then you need a week of doing it in, uh, you know, like week one, you do it have that week off. So when you come back for week two, you do it, but now you start putting it into, I, I changed it where I started having them doing it in practical applications, right? The two weeks, the idea was miles of him going do two weeks of straight absurd, two weeks of character driven, two weeks of alternate reality, one week of realistic, and then a review week. That was his, all, all his idea. End of list. Everything else that I teach inside of that is my own. So I've brought in like for, okay. for character driven scenes, I've brought in clowning techniques. I have, uh, <clears throat> I've done a, a bunch of things like, you know, I'm the one that brought in the idea of the, here are these practical applications. All those scenes that you get told not to do, like don't do stranger scenes or teaching scenes or negotiation scenes or transaction scenes or, uh, you, know, uh, you know, I said teaching. There's five of them. I can't remember off the top of my head. Or like interview scenes. We all get told, like, don't do, don't do those scenes. But gosh darn it, if we just don't find ourselves in those scenes anyway. Do, if you Have find, you ever studied with Bill Arnett or work with him? No, but I'm familiar with Bill, yeah. So Bill's whole thing is like, was that a teaching scene? Sure. Does it happen in real life? Sure. Yeah. That's what I'd say. I'm like, so if you find yourself in stranger scenes or negotiation scenes or transaction scenes or teaching scenes or interview scenes, do a straight absurd scene because it's the only scene that will work in it every time. Other scenes may work, but every time it'll be a straight absurd because if I'm a stranger, if we're two strangers at the bus stop and I ask you, hey, has the bus come yet? And you go, no, no, it's, it's not yet. I was like, oh, okay. Well, since we have uh, since, since we have some extra time, uh, you want to go in the bushes and fuck, right? He's going to say no to that. We're going to do a straight absurd scene, but since we're straight absurd scenes only require hit hit back off hit to work. You don't need to know our names. You know, like I've been looking at your resume. Right? Welcome to McDonald's. Can I take your order? You can, straight absurd scene. That's all. It's going to work every time. Everything else may or may not work, but straight absurd will always work. 
So, at Iowa, I know they do evaluations. Are you doing it at the PAC also? No. We don't okay. do we don't Why? do teacher we don't do teacher evaluations there because Miles hires every teacher personally. He has he has thoroughly vetted them. He believes in what they teach, and he believes in bringing in people that disagree with him. He does not. He and Emily do not agree. Emily will never do position play. She doesn't believe in it. She doesn't give a shit about it. Well, because she's annoying. Yeah. Right. So um, since he's already done that, uh, he he believes that he's personally vetted them. Right. And that doesn't mean that we don't have an open door policy. We do. People people email Miles all the time uh, to talk about issues with 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 teachers and all that. Uh, he's the head of the company. He's more than willing to listen to a, uh, to a student. Uh, the way we believe it is like he's vetted the teachers and he vouches for them. But the student is king. Right. If there there have been times where he's come to me like he, he came in one class a couple of years ago and uh, just to collect money. Uh, at the break, but we were like five, ten minutes away from taking the break. It was because it was week one, so he was like, "I'm here, everybody, take you know money, <clears throat> pay for the class if you haven't, you know, only paid half or whatever." And I uh, so I taught for about ten, fifteen minutes in front of them, and at the break, he was like, "You, uh, I noticed something. You got changed. You keep saying uh, it's easy. Like you're, I know what you're saying is like, hey, it's simple, it's right. Like, but they're hearing, they're hearing that it's it's easy and that you should learn it, and they're getting frustrated. So he still he still believes that we as teachers are going to evolve in concept. So the the evalu- the evaluation that someone writes of me two years ago is is worthless to him um, to him evaluating me as a teacher now, right? Right. Woo! Arf, 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 arf. Yep, of course. Um, of course. I oh. hope it's a dog and not a kid. Right? Uh, <clears throat> yeah. And like I said, like I said, we keep our we keep our classes small. We we cap them at twelve. We're more of a, a master's program where it's like, you know, I always like going to a state college. You know, you just get, spent your four years there. You got your degree. You had a lot of parties. You made out with some people you probably shouldn't have, but overall, you still got your education. And now you're getting a master's program from us. So like to just like you get a master's degree of like you whatever your major was, you're gonna study and focus a little bit more on that. Your major at the Pack Theater just happens to be yourself, the type of comedian you wanna be, the type of improviser you wanna be, the type of actor you wanna be, the type of uh, type of artist you wanna be. What's your voice? Right? That's that's Emily's level three is a lot about people discovering their own voice, what they think is funny, what they think is their own personal taste. And then when you get to me in level four where it's forms, it's like, all right, now how can we do that as a group? And here are the different forms to achieve that. Forms is just – an improv form is just a group of people that have gotten together collectively and agreed on a uh, particular set of ground rules to say the thing that they want to say, right? Yeah. That's, yeah, that's it. And then yeah. yeah, then you get to Miles and level five, he fixes you. And level six, you you become a team. You you create your own form or you take one of the forms from level four that you want to do. And then he does a and then you do a show every week and he gives you notes. Uh, I can't I can't take that's I think our number one value as an improv school is the fact that Miles uh Miles watches your show and give you notes because I think he's arguably the greatest living improv teacher on the planet. Uh, I know I'm biased, but I also truly believe that. Um, and he is in the last 10 years, last 15 years, he has coached exactly two teams, and I was on one of them. Right? It's to, to, to get to have Miles Stroth watch your show and give you notes is the most valuable thing that we have because no one else on the planet has it. He's the war chief. 
Yeah, it's it's awesome. I, I, I love what you guys are doing over there. Thank you. I really appreciate yes, it. I do. Do they get do they the students get to do surveys on the classes themselves? Uh, yeah, we're always uh, we're always telling people if they if they <clears throat> if they have thoughts. We uh, we have a we have a private Facebook group that everyone okay. uh, we we tell them to join it and then we invite them in. It's kind of like where everyone's talking about. And we we ask our students all the time, what do you like about this? What do you need more of? What do you want more of? What could be helped? Like for example, the the way it originally started. You got uh, Emily taught level one and level two and taught everything she knew. And then I taught level three and level four and taught everything I knew. And then Miles did five and six. It was a student that came to us and said, you know, position play would have been really helpful to have known before I went into Emily's level two. Is there a way that you guys can switch it? And we said, if that's what you guys want, absolutely. So they learned freedom from her, you know, just kind of all that kind of annoyance type of stuff. And, you know, and getting comfortable with their bodies and that. And then they come to me in level two and I teach them position play. So some, some shared common language, some ground rules so that when they go back to Emily, um, they can, they can sort of have that shared common language. It's also helpful to the teachers that we found, especially for me and Emily is to have them go away for two months and see what they've learned from Emily and what they've come back versus just here's eight weeks with this. And now eight weeks again with me. Uh, it's also helpful that it's, um, for people not to be able like to get burnt out on a voice, right? That's the biggest challenge here at AdLib. Yeah. Because I'm still the only teacher. Right, right. All three levels. Yeah. Back to back to back. Well, the first thing I would say to that, um, I'm sure you're more aware of this than I am, um, but it's something that just I saw because Harrison Brookie, uh, who, who runs uh, Alchemy down here in Greenville, uh, he put out uh, put something in his Facebook post, and I was like, oh, yeah, that's good. And it's something that me – and Joe Bill and a couple other people that talked about at Camp East. I think I think we might have actually been even talking to you. Um, the idea is that if you can't have anything, you, you can't run a theater where if you're not there, it doesn't go. Right. You have to you have to find somebody and trust someone, or take a take a leap of faith on someone that uh, they may be ready. Right. Uh, I had a guy. I had a guy here, Jason Farr, uh, at Alchemy. Harrison Brookie had to t- talk him into. It. He was like, he was like, when are you gonna? When? What do I have to do to get you in here to teach a level one? I think you'd be great at it. I think you're. I think you are. I think you have potential to be a leader in this community. And he was saying like, I was 35 years old. No one had ever told me I could be a leader. And now here I'm, right. and I'm teaching class and all that. Empower somebody, Lauren. Yeah, I have a couple coaches who are empowered. Good. I mean, I, I, I tell that to my students all the time. I was like, my number one job as a teacher, and if you take nothing else out of this class, please take this. My, my job as a teacher is successful. I do my job when I convince you to like your ideas as much as I do. Right? Like when you get, when you get to the point where you believe in your ideas more than I do, then, then we've successful. Because right now, I'm the only one believing in them. Right. You guys are self-doubting. You're judging. You're 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 all this kind of stuff. You're the only one with the gun to your head. Not me. And I'm just and I'm begging them and just passionately be saying, like, your ideas and thoughts are valid. If you're thinking it, you're allowed to say it. If you're feeling it, you're allowed to be affected by it. You have you cannot fuck up being you. Not, Not every single person. I absolutely believe this. Every single improviser on the planet does something better on an improv stage than anyone else in the world. 
simply by being you. You, Lauren Morris, just by being Lauren Morris, do something better than Craig Gikowski, do something better than Karen Grouchy, better than Paul Valancourt, better than Miles, better, better than Heather M. Campbell, Becky Drysdale, Jamie Moore, Karen Grouchy, whoever you want to think of. You do something on an improv stage better than they ever will simply because you're Lauren Morris and they are not. That's hard for people to hear. Yeah, it is. Sometimes. Yeah, people tell me I'm fucking insane. Right. <laughs> You're like, no way. But better than – I don't do anything better than Paul Valancourt. I'm like, yeah, you do. Well, you wake up – You, I mean, none of us has ever woken up in the morning, turned on the bathroom light, looked in the mirror and went, ah, shit, I'm an old Chinese peasant woman. Right. Oh, I've completely screwed up being me today. Oh, I'm a horse from the 1800s. Well, better call and work. Tell them I'm not coming in today. It's not a Lauren Morris day. I'm a horse. Right? That's never happened. Why do we think that we're going to step on an improv right. stage and suddenly fuck up being us? Since you in this position of, like, Miles poking in on you, mm-hmm. I am having you teach yourself, what do you do to keep yourself excited about teaching and also continuously <clears throat> learning? Oh, excellent. Well, um, the old man, no one thinks about improv more than the old man. He's constantly thinking about it a day in and day out. As am I. When he said um, – it's, a, it's the nicest thing he's ever said. I shouldn't say that. He said a lot of nice things to me. Uh, he's my mentor, but he's also I'm – very, I'm very honored and very glad to call him my friend. Um, but one of the best compliments he ever gave me is that thing I said before where he said – he's like, you are the most technical improviser I've ever met in my life. I'm like Johnny number five from Short Circuit. I'm like, input, input, input. <laughs> I'm constantly thinking about – I have figured out a way to run improv exercises and drills while I sleep. I am that I am a psychopath when it comes to this stuff. So my my passion, Paul, Paul Valancourt, it says he's like you know he's like you're the one one of the most passionate people about improv, and Miles says it as well. And the reason for that, uh, to answer your question, is twofold. Improv saved my life, and that is not hyperbole. Improv saved my life. Um, it was the first thing that ever told me that I was good enough. And that all I had to be was me. I mean, I was talented. I played sports. I was good at stuff and all like that. Um, but I hated myself and who I was so badly. Uh, and I was so angry that um, being able to find this thing and not wanting to hurt myself anymore uh, was so incredibly valuable that it, I, I feel honor and duty bound to give that back. Um, also, the law of averages states that there's at least one person in my class and every class that feels that way. And if I can just get them another day without hurting themselves, give them a week to look forward to coming to this class. Uh, and especially when it comes to like, you know, level one and level two, we have a lot of experienced people that come to the pack, but also we have people who have never done improv before and they just heard good things about us. And so they come to us. So whether it's at IO or the pack or any festival I've been to, I believe that it is my duty and my honor to, to, to represent this art form and represent the people that came before me and the people that taught me, uh, I may be the first and and in some scenarios, probably the only ex, ex, exposure they'll ever have to improv. It is on me to make that to be a positive experience and to watch someone's light bulb go off, to watch someone do straight absurd and go, oh, so oh, also when you back off, this that is – that is cracked to me. I'm never going to stop chasing that dragon. Uh, so that's I, I know for a fact that no matter what I do in my career, no matter how successful I get, if I if I'm making Adam McKay money, I'm still going to find a way 
to teach. I'm still going to tell me. I may, I be, I might be like, Hey, don't pay me or anything like that. Like, don't, don't pay me. I don't need your money. You guys give me a, give me, I don't know. Give me a six pack and then we'll just call it even. Right. I'm going to teach your class. Uh, but I, I can't not do that. And also I think it works for me because it keeps, it keeps me motivated. I I always tell my students, I'm like, you're going to, I'm going to learn a hell of a lot more from you than you're ever going to learn from me. And you guys are going to learn from each other a lot more than you're ever going to learn from me. It keeps me sharp. It keeps me tied in. It keeps my thumb on the pulse. Yes. Uh, Like I never, ever have to worry about losing touch or having my comedy grow old or dull because my knife is sharpened every day with people that are young and passionate and trying to, and trying to use their voices. That's, that's, that's a bonus for me. Right. That's how I yeah, I love when super, I mean, I love all ages, mm-hmm. but I love when super young people come in and they drop something. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. Yeah. And I'm like, damn it. They're going to find out. <laughs> <clears throat> yes. <laughs> So, what? Well, I have a few things. Sure. Um, let's talk about some scenarios. Which Got we did a little bit in the beginning. Sure. But let's talk specifically about diversity. Great. Uh, what, if anything, are you doing to help facilitate that conversation, make improv more diverse? We are. I have. Uh, I push it a little bit harder. Uh, than maybe maybe most other folks because I'm I'm acutely aware of there's only so much that my straight white male voice can offer to the art form that hasn't already been offered by all the other incredible amazing straight white male improviser teachers that have come before me. At a certain point, if this thing is ever going to grow, if it's ever going to go to the spaces that it needs to go, if it's ever going to replicate recognizable human behavior, which I think is our job, much like improv, much like the Supreme Court, the improv teachers should reflect what the rest of the com- company is. And if you don't have people, uh, people of color, or women, or people of, um, or you know, LGBTQ. Um, in positions of power, you will not draw those voices to you. Uh, so I'm very aware of that. Uh, the pack has a problem with it. I don't. I should let me take that back. We don't have a problem with it. We're not as diverse as I would like to be. Uh, but that's be- only because we're small. We're small, and we're just getting started, and we don't have the demand for our classes. Now I've been pushing behind the scenes for a long, long time, saying, "Hey, we should start talking about who these people are going to be now, because when we do get successful, or if we do blow up, I'm waiting for that day that we go that we have, you know, 75 to 100 people sign up for level one all at once, and we go, oh shit, Emily can't teach nine classes. Right. We have to. We have to like make those. So I'm going like, hey, let's start having those conversations now about that. But um. I was. I will say in our hiring that um, we're definitely more prog- progressive than most. Uh, some other places, which I will not speak. I can. I feel confident speaking for the pack. I won't speak for other places and how they hire. You'd have to. You have to ask them. Right. But my big thing is, uh, I believe in like that's you know camp. That's we want to. Uh, I'm director of outreach for Camp Improv Utopia. That's I'm on the board. That's the part of that outreach is going to places like this, but also telling people that you know, going going to places uh, not only where there already is improv, but where there is not improv. Uh, so like what they're 
like what the three one three that that group, uh, what they're doing for the with the Detroit uh, creativity uh, creativity project, going to the inner cities, doing that stuff, teaching uh, teaching at theater festivals for high schools, uh, being willing to like uh, to be a mentor and uh, a, a sounding board for people like uh, there's there's people that um, I think like for example we live in Los Angeles I live in Los Angeles you know it's a Spanish name. <laughs> right? right. I believe our our Latino community is so large and is being vastly underserved when it comes to improv. But that's not my place. It, I, I'm not the I'm not the voice that should I, a straight white male should not go into a Latino community and tell them how to do improv. That's a great way. That's a, but there are people that are doing that and I can be helpful to them. Um, this lovely woman, Lorena, who's uh, who's doing improv impro LA. Uh, it's, it's all in Spanish. I can direct her to people like Chris Alvarado, who's from Downey, who who speaks fluent Spanish because he's because he's Latino. I can put him on to uh, the Lopez twins, who are great improvisers and who speak fluent Spanish and are from here and from that. So those those are the people I can do those connections. I can help diversity happen that way. Um, so it's not just hiring of teachers. It's also trying to get the students uh, like anything else. I've, and I've, that's why I've been pushing it really hard with the pack. I'm saying we're the one theater that's – I shouldn't say the one theater because I don't know what other people are doing. But I'll say this. I want to be the one theater where everyone goes – like I signed up for your class because I – all things being equal, I looked at the page of teachers and I looked at the page of the performers on your performer page uh, and I saw people that looked like me. And I said that right. that's the be. It is. It is. It all starts with representation. I'm very happy with. If you look at our schedule and if you look at our performer page, um, I'm very proud of the people that we put on our stage. Not only because of uh, their life experiences, because also they're super fucking funny and talented. Um, and I and I hire them for things. I put my money where my mouth is. I'm directing. A, I'm directing a commercial next week. Good chunk of change for the actors. Uh, lots of spots. I think we're shooting. It's all green screen. We're shooting twenty eight uh, in two days. I hired two pack people. That's my. That's our. Our motto is don't be boring. But my personal motto for the pack is, and which I tell our performers and our students all the time, support each other, work together, get hired, hire others, t- get famous, take over the industry, take over the world. I say that like a mantra all over and over again. I want. So what are you- I want that community and I want us to be as, uh, as rainbow as fuck right. when we do it. So as we're preparing for that, yes, because you can't, I should say you can't. I think just the way, again, process the mm-hmm. you have to play before you teach. Yep. yep. But you have to get diversity into the door to play and be a student yeah. before the teachers make yeah, I run into I run into that when I when I book the podcast for Miles. Uh, whenever I, I, I'm also very proud of I book the podcast for Miles, and I think if you go through and look who I've put on that podcast, I've I've put my money where my mouth is when it comes to diversity. But I also try and get veterans and old guys in there. But and that's the problem. Most of the veterans are old white guys because there were no people of color. There were no women back then that like really got that that didn't get chased off. You know, you have to be you have to be Susan Messing or Polar. You had to be fucking tough as nails. You had to be drash, right? Um, so my my hope is is that this generation coming up through now, when they start to get older, 
then those will be the vets, and then it'll start to look a little bit more like that. It, it's it's a process, like anything else. It's an evolution. It's just gonna, it's going to take time to turn some of this coal into diamond. You know. Sorry, yeah. didn't, sorry, didn't re- interrupt. I'm sorry. No, I love. The, so it goes keeps tying into what I want to talk about. So as we prepare the next the next generation of teachers, mm-hmm. are you doing anything specific like a train the trainer, or what do you do, or what do you think will be helpful to prepare? Um, I help whoever asks for it. I also pick out several people that I think are good and that sort of fit those in. And then, uh, my, the first thing I do before I, you know, think about diversity or anything else is I look for the lifers. I look for the people that have, I have looked for the people who have drank the Kool-Aid deep from minute, from moment one, they said, this is it. I found my shit. I found my jam. I'm going to be forever and ever. You need that first. No matter who you are, right? And then I just keep an eye on them. I keep tabs on them. I give them pieces of encouragement. And when they're ready, and I tell everybody this, how will I know when I'm ready to coach? That's because there's a difference between coaching and teaching. And this is what Eric Honeycutt told me. He said, you're ready to coach when someone asks you to do it. Right. Right? You're ready to teach. Someone has seen your shows enough and they think you're funny enough and they like what you do that they go, hey, um, just can you have a second? So like, do you coach? That's when you know you're ready to coach. When you're ready to teach is when you're able to demonstrate the lesson to the student without embarrassing the student. If you're able to have that sort of deft touch where you can go like, hey, how about uh, how about for a second? Let me let me step in. I'm not saying this is the right way to do it. I'm not saying this is the way you should do it. I'm just demonstrating the lesson that we're trying to learn today so you can see how it works. Right. If you're able to do that, so they, they go, oh, I, I, I see what you mean, but without embarrassing or humiliating or emasculating or patronizing or condescending to the student, then you're ready to teach. And you won't know you're ready to teach until someone hires you. Well, that's the other thing is that sometimes people need to be taught mm-hmm. that. Yes. Or like, this is how you need to approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people are just innately good at it. Yeah. So you have to have the you have to have the passion first, and then you have to be able to demonstrate that, and that just comes through skill uh, and and repetition. What was your question? I'm sorry. No, I was gonna say so. If you tap someone, Mm -hmm. are you having them sit in on a series of courses with you? Pack hasn't reached that yet, but I assume that when we do get to that point, because again, we're just we're still small, we're still starting out. We've only had a seven day schedule since July, right? Right. When that happens, I would assume. That it will be a, um, it'll be similar to what we uh, what we've done at IO, and then, and I don't know how they do it at other places because that, that I'm just my own personal history. Miles, Emily, and I all have IO backgrounds, and so we have definitely learned what not to do uh, in certain places, but also we have taken stuff that has worked there, um, and it'll probably be a shadow teaching scenario where you would sit, you would sit in. Um, You'd probably sit in for eight weeks and watch how I do my class and then just so at least you have a sense of what it is. But again, we believe in the idea of we're not going to tell you how to teach that class. So bring your bring your own self to it Um, when he's ready and when he's available, you know, or when we have need for it. Neil Gargiulo from Dr. God, who I know very well, is close to me as a brother, who is also half Italian, half Puerto Rican and has been part of the CBS Diversity Project uh, and, you know, in Los Angeles and other things. Um, it's funny enough cause he's calling me right now about something else. <laughs> I'm going to decline with a message. Uh, 
Uh, he, when we have the event, he will be teaching level two. He will be teaching position play because he studied with Miles at IO, and you know he has UCB background and game and all that. But he's also a writer. Uh, the position play he believes in just as much as I do, and he knows that stuff backwards and forwards. I absolutely have trust in him. We just hired Bill Polsley to teach a uh, level one digital, which is one of our our which our newest. Bill um, Bill has a uh, a web series that literally just came out two weeks ago called By the By, which is him start playing himself, and it's very funny but also very touchy web series about him coming out to his family as bisexual, and he's a biracial dude. So we have a bisexual biracial dude teaching a digital, and that's our most recent hire, Matt Lieberman, who is Jewish. Um, the opportunities that we have that we've given people and producers a lot of our a lot of our staff all of our staff is volunteer a lot of our staff is women uh roy shockley uh who's a, a young black producer he's our house manager uh hope hope richards is um our assistant house manager denise Ojeda, who is uh half um half uh half italian half uh no sorry she's a She's uh, half Latino, half Jewish. Uh, she is. Uh, she works our volunteer for our internship programs, our internship programs, um, and uh, our scholarship programs. We do uh, weigh heavily towards uh, people of color and women. Um, it's we're we're trying to do we're trying to put our money where our mouth is, uh, but it's slow and it takes time. And I just keep I just keep trying to tell people like, be patient with us and look at. Look at who's on our stage. Look at the people I book for the podcast. Look at the people I'm booking for the six pack, which is like our version of our, uh, it's like our flagship show, our flagship improv okay. show. Like I just, um, like Andy Bolt, who's a very good friend of mine, but also is, um, she's a television writer. She works for, uh, Mary plus Jane on, on mad, you know, MTV. She's written for a bunch of other shows. We've known each other for a long time and she's, and she's a pretty, you know, proud and strident feminist and, and she should be cause she's badass. And then I had her do the six pack and she was like, I can't tell you the last time I was on an improv stage with two, two black guys and two women. And I said, welcome to the pack. That's, that's the feeling I want everyone to have. And I truly believe that diversity is not just the right thing to do or the moral or ethical thing to do. I think it's also just good business. If I'm the one theater in town that's known for putting people on stage that look like you do, then you come here. Every every other theater can have all the you know the twenty year old straight white dudes with glasses and and flannel. That's great. I'm gonna have those guys too, but I'm gonna also have everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's also just good business, you know. <clears throat> Statistically, going you know going in this country, right? Yeah. Right. You know, El, 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 I'm, I know I'm screwing this up because my Spanish is rusty, but it's, you know El Ciudad está Los Angeles. See or no? It's <laughs> like that's, that's that's the wave, man. We have we have Jody we have Jody Scaris who's on Big Yellow Taxi, which is one of our house improv teams. She is a um, certified uh, uh, deaf and hard of hearing translator, a- ASL sign language translator. She has been working with a deaf gang. Uh, it's called Deaf Gang. It's uh, deaf and hard of hearing uh, improvisers. We're gonna we put them up on the pack before. We're gonna do it again. I'm gonna give her a monthly show. I'm gonna give I'm gonna give the deaf community an hour to pack our theater. And support each other and support us and have a place to go. Um, it's important to me. My nephew is autistic. My dad is disabled. He walks on straight arm crutches, has been since 1978. Um, I'm Irish. I've, I've, I'm only three generations removed from being 
you know, the N word of the North. I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying to be aware of all that stuff. And also at the same time, be honest with myself is that there's only so much I can do because I'm a white straight male and it's not my place to do it. I can only offer opportunities. I can only open the door and keep it open for other people behind me. And then my job after that is to shut the fuck up and listen to people of color and women and LGBTQ because their experience is their experience and it's not mine. It can't possibly be. I just, I have to make it a safe space. That's my job as a producer and a promoter and a teacher at, uh, at the pack. I think that's a job of all of us as teachers, especially mm-hmm. is making sure it's a safe space. Right. Um, any advice to anybody who's thinking about getting into teaching? Obviously passion. Has yeah. To be there. <clears throat> passion has to be there. And, um, the same thing goes for teaching as it goes for coaching as it goes for performing improv. If you're getting into it for validation, don't. You can't – it's supposed to be about the search for truth. It's supposed to be about the exploration of it. You have to be in love with the process of it. You have to be in love with the idea that the things around you and the people around you are more important than yourself. If you're going into this to get praise or validation or to finally feel like you like you have – you know. You already have value. Improv wants you, right? If you're using improv to make yourself feel better about yourself at the expense of others, then you shouldn't do any part of it. And if you're a teacher, you have to be above reproach. You have to be like so far above reproach, not only because you're um, you know, representing a theater that's hiring you. you know, you're, you're, ex- you're an extension and a representative of the theater. But also because you you are – it is a great responsibility to have young minds, old old alike, old young and old alike. When I say young minds, I mean young to improv, to have young minds and be able to, um, to shape those. You have to be responsible for that. You don't want to be a level of corruption at any level. You can't – so my advice to you would be only do it. Only teach if you're willing to hold yourself to that high standard. And the way I do that for me personally, um, I, I read the Bushido Code um, four times a year. It's the way of the samurai, the code of the samurai. And I find ways to – there's a lot of there's a lot of analogous points to improv, the way that – you know keep the idea of keeping your armor clean, being able to have the right tea set, uh, being able to host and respect people, loyalty to your shogun, all those kind of things. Um if you're if you're not willing to hold yourself to an impossibly high standard, don't teach. And if you can't find a way to keep your uh, keep yourself to that standard, don't teach. And if you're getting into it to date your students, don't. Oh God. Don't date your don't date your students. Don't, don't date your students. students. Don't date your students.